0: Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times Get it? with your ultimate preview of WWE Elimination Chamber. Now I say ultimate preview coming out the top of this show, but there's not that much to preview as WWE heads into its second pay-per-view of 2021. I mentioned last week that it seemed like we had an exceedingly short runway between the Royal Rumble and Elimination Chamber. And now that we're here, previewing this pay-per-view, that has definitely proven to be true. We entered the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view technically with five matches announced, One of them, we believe, is going to be coming off the card. That leaves four. Of those four matches, one of them isn't even set because it depends on the winner of an Elimination Chamber. So because of that, I am not quite sure what kind of ultimate preview you're going to get on today's episode. We will talk about that a little bit more in a moment, what we're going to do today, what we may do later in the week, and of course, we will once again have instant analysis of WWE Elimination Chamber Sunday night as soon as the pay-per-view is off the air. Before we get to all of that, talking about today's show, talking about the future, you guys know the deal. It's time to take care of some business. So first, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at gettingovercast. Not only is that where we release every single episode of the show, but as you guys saw, those of you who do follow us on a Monday night, we tweet live during the shows. We tweet about wrestling all week long, and I think we're pretty entertaining over there. So give us a follow at Getting Overcast. We're almost at 800 followers. The goal is to be at 1,000 by the time we get to WrestleMania. We'll see if that is possible, but that is the goal. Number two, head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review on this show. Let people know how much you love it. Every single five-star review we get helps our standing in Apple Podcasts. We jumped 14 spots last week. We're back into the top 50 among wrestling podcasts. And I know that doesn't sound that crazy, right? But there's thousands of wrestling podcasts. So when you consider this one, which has only been around for less than a year, into the top 50, it's good. That's very, very positive. And I hope we keep rocketing up. The more you guys drop reviews, the more you listen to episodes, the more you share them, the higher we will rise. And one other thing to note here before we get going, I did mention this on the NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day instant analysis, which by the way, you should listen to. Uh, It's sitting there waiting for you right in our catalog. Go listen to that show. Uh, But I mentioned this at the beginning. I wanted to give a shout out to this company. It's a a clothing company online. They make a lot of menswear customized and and they just do a great job. It's called Proper Cloth. Uh, You know, I'm not shilling out them for clothing or anything like that. But I did want to say I've been using their face masks uh, during the entirety of this pandemic. They come in a variety of different colors and styles. Uh, Personally, I'm a blue-gray guy. That's the majority of clothing I wear are blue, gray, or shades of those colors, black, white, things like that. Um, And they just have the most comfortable, uh, the most protective face mask that you can get from a cloth face mask. Triple layer cotton, a removable filter insert that you can clean, you wash everything by hand. Uh, I have six of them. I bought three. They sent me three because they know I was such a big fan. So no promo code here, not necessarily trying to push you to go get a discount or anything like that. But I did want to shout out a company that I think is doing a great job during an important time. That's Proper Cloth. So be sure to head on over there, pick up some face masks if you want. They have a couple great three packs. I can take a picture of mine and show them. I probably will on my personal Twitter account, at Adam. Check them out. Big fan of proper cloth and their face masks. But okay, with that all out of the way, we're going to get to the show today. We're talking all things WWE, folks. We're talking SmackDown. We're talking Raw. And we are talking an ultimate preview of WWE Elimination Chamber. But today's show is going to be different. As you probably have noticed already, no co host has been introduced and that is because Chris Vanini lives in Texas and he is currently subject to rolling blackouts. He gets about 20 minutes of power per hour. He was unable to watch WWE Raw and the guy's freezing his ass off because if you're only getting 20 minutes of power each hour, that means your heat's not on and it is snowing in Texas. So yeah, things are not working out for Chris right now. We wish him the best. If you want to tweet him your well wishes, uh, go ahead follow him and tweet him at Chris Vanini. V-A-N-N-I-N-I on Twitter, but Chris isn't here, so the Silver King is rocking solo for this WWE show, and because of that, I am going to leave the door open, not the forbidden door, but a door, open to do a second WWE show this week. As I said, the road between the Royal Rumble and Elimination Chamber has been pretty short. It was clear on Monday that WWE made numerous changes to the card, and... Based on some of those changes and things that are going to happen in the future, I think there's the possibility that between the finish of this show, by the time we end the taping, and the go-home SmackDown Friday at 10 p.m., I think there's a chance we have another two or three matches announced for the Elimination Chamber card. And if that happens, we're going to need to do a second show. So I already talked to Chris, and if a second show is needed, we will do that Friday night immediately after SmackDown. We'll do a WWE Elimination Chamber Ultimate Preview bonus episode or something along those lines. We'll keep it 30 minutes. We'll make it super quick. But that possibility remains out there. Because the Silver King's operating on his own, because the Elimination Chamber card is relatively short, we're going to do a different format on today's episode of Getting Over. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to save the WWE Elimination Chamber Ultimate preview for the end of the show. As we do always, I'll break down every match on the card along with one match I think will be on the card. But we're going to start the show off with something you guys have not heard in over a year. We're going to start the show off with Hero or Zero. And if you are a new listener, someone who had not heard the Silver King at my previous podcast, Stops, it's basically a thumbs up, thumbs down type of segment where we go through a bunch of things that happen and we either give it a hero or a zero. Now I don't have the hero sound effect because the truth is folks, I just decided to do this right before the show began. So let's get into hero or zero and hey, we'll go with Keith Lee here because we know he is a hero for all of us. That's the most action I've had all year. Yeah, so let's get into it hero or zero. I'm gonna break down WWE topics that don't fit inside of the elimination chamber ultimate preview. So let's start with Seth Rollins returning on SmackDown. So you had the entire locker room, including Murphy, but not including Reigns, at ringside, all in the dark, which made Rollins return feel like a big deal. They treated it like this is a moment where the entire locker room needs to be present. Michael Cole, if I recall correctly, didn't say that Rollins requested them at ringside. They were just all out there. So Rollins... Comes out, he has the Messiah look, but he came out to his original music, which was great. It was nice to hear the Burn It Down again and hear the old Rollins track. He said his daughter uh, cleared his head and made him wonder how he fit on SmackDown. And when he said that, I thought, okay, he's not going to fit on SmackDown. Seth Rollins is going to Raw, which would have made some sense. Even though Raw is pretty stacked, they need someone of his level. And if they did put Seth Rollins on Raw, in my head, I was thinking, you know what? Now Drew McIntyre has a great challenger for WrestleMania. But nope, that's not what happened. Instead, he said SmackDown and all the superstars, they have talent, but they need him to be a leader. Everyone started walking away from the ring. Uh, Murphy was a little bit slow to do so. And Cesaro was there when the lights came on. When Cesaro eventually left, Rollins got angry, took out Cesaro's leg, and berated him. Brian made the save. Rollins was great on the mic, as usual. But they missed an opportunity, in my opinion, to make significant tweaks to his gimmick. Instead, it's minor changes. And the only thing I feel like they really took away were the religious overtones that it had on Raw. You know, the the stained glass look and that type of music. Instead, he was wearing black and red again. Uh, He was almost an inverted version of Eddie Murphy from Raw when he wore that... Red leather suit, Rollins was in a black leather suit with a red tie, it was just the opposite. So I I just didn't find this to be the type of return for Rollins that gets me excited. Basically, Rollins comes back, this is one of the best superstars in the company, and what they told us was, hey, he's kinda doing the same thing, but he has no followers and no one likes him already. And yeah, that's Seth Rollins. So for me, uh, I was happy to see him, but this was a disappointment. And we got to start off with a zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. We're going to stay with SmackDown, where Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair had a face-off. Earlier in the show, Reginald apologized to Banks with a glass of champagne while she was talking to Kalisto. She took it, and Reginald had like a shit-eating grin on his face behind her back as she drank it. I thought there was a cool moment later where Banks danced with the Street Profits. Uh, They were leaving the ring after winning a match. And she was kind of coming down um, to do her segment, which we're going to talk about right now. I can't imagine, though, Bianca Belair enjoyed that. And I thought they would have played off of that with Belair backstage at Montez Ford. Why are you dancing with her? Like, what are you doing here, right? I don't know why they didn't do it. It was right there for them. They are known on screen as a couple. So I just thought that was a bit of a surprise, at least for me. Uh, So Banks gets the mic. She bumbles her way through a promo a little bit. And Belair said that Banks is not the boss of her. Okay, I mean, that was fine. Randomly, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler come down and wondered why they are being ignored. Banks and Belair basically pointed to the video screen, showed their losses from Raw. The heels attacked and the faces got over. Jax took another seat on the ring apron, but this time did not yell out, I think everyone who was watching was kind of waiting for that to happen. Ultimately, it appears like the women's tag team champions now have two sets of challengers. They have Naomi and Lana on Raw that have already won a number one contendership. And now they have Banks and Belair on SmackDown, where WWE is once again shoving a women's champion from a brand into a tag team unnecessarily. You have all these women on your roster. You have the riot Squad sitting there waiting for an opportunity. Yes, I know they've been losing recently because of Billy Kay. So that's maybe not the best booking. Maybe you take Bailey and Billy Kay. I mentioned this previously. You make them a tag team and you give them an opportunity. You figure something out. But I understand they're trying to figure out a way to waste a little time before Bianca Belair makes her decision, and she better choose Sasha Banks at this point, because once again, we didn't even see her on Raw, which makes zero sense. So they have these two teams now feuding with the women's tag team champions. They may have no women's match on the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, and no match was announced here. They could have easily announced this. They could have easily announced Uh, the women's tag team champions against Lana and Naomi on Monday, but instead they didn't. So going back to this though on SmackDown, Banks bungled her promo. The segment wasn't necessarily great. It was almost just an excuse to air my hole again. So look, I got to do it. Going over to Raw, Asuka and Charlotte Flair faced Lacey Evans and Peyton Royce. So Asuka and Flair, no longer tag team champions, still teaming, Um, I guess at least here, it made a little bit of sense because Lacey has an issue with Flair and she won the number one contendership against Asuka. So, okay, maybe you can do it, but she's there with Peyton Royce. Evans got a semi-decent promo. I don't like her. I don't like her gimmick. I don't really enjoy any part of it, but for the promo itself, it was pretty decent, but she cut it and Peyton was just standing there like a complete second fiddle. Uh, which was really sad. Evans avoided flair during the match itself. And then right as she got tagged in, grabbed a mic, jumped down from the ring, said, Charlotte, you can't touch me because I'm pregnant. Ric Flair celebrated and the match just ended. No finish, no count out, nothing. They just kind of forgot that a match was even happening. So at first I was going to rip this to shreds as horrendously stupid and completely insulting to the audience I had a rant planned. I was going to curse and do this entire thing. And it's clear that you guys agreed. Because I got a lot of messages and DMs, including from at DJ Stutta with two underscores. This Lacey Evans and Charlotte story is complete garbage. I want no part of it. This pregnancy angle doesn't make any sense. When you did possibly conceive, do the math, it doesn't add up whatsoever. Also, she has a title match at Elimination Chamber. So is she giving that up? Also, this is the go-home show for Chamber. So now Asuka doesn't have a match if they do continue this bullshit. So that's what DJ stud is saying. And he's right. I was going to go on that rant and I had it planned out. I had a bunch of bullet points. I was ready to go nuts. However, Lacey is reportedly pregnant for real. Legit, not kayfabe. So first off, congratulations to her. That's great news. We're always happy. But in that sense... This kind of worked as a way to get out of the storyline because they were building a storyline, presumably for Lacey Evans and Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania. Now, if that was a non-title match, Silver King would have been okay with it. But I had a really bad feeling deep in my soul that Lacey was gonna take the title off Asuka and Charlotte was gonna challenge her at WrestleMania and win the title off Lacey in a face feel good type of story where people aren't going to cheer for Charlotte. Maybe they would have in that circumstance, but she's not over as a face, right? It's, it, you don't buy it. So that's off now. And WWE, presumably, you have to imagine, doesn't have a match for Elimination Chamber at this point. And therefore, I've pulled it out of our ultimate preview. Because what I was going to complain about was, how does Pregnancy pull her out of this match when Pregnancy forced... Becky Lynch to drop her title. And then how do you have her compete against Asuka at the Elimination Chamber? You don't, you can't, it's not going to happen. So DJ Studda, I understand why you were so upset. That is exactly how I felt. But I, I just don't see a scenario where that actually happens, right? So now, presumably, Asuka doesn't have a challenger, which makes it, I think, five or now six months where she won't defend her title on a pay-per-view. It's, that's insane, it's truly crazy that they can't book the Raw Women's Division to get her a damn challenger. I would honestly be fine if they just threw Peyton Royce in a match with her or gave her anyone else except for Charlotte. Like give Shayna an opportunity or Nia. I don't care. But like the fact that Oscar's not defending her title, it makes the fact that she has a long title reign meaningless because she's not being put over strong. I think the last person she beat in like a singles match for the title, if memory serves, was Zelina Vega, who's not even employed by this company anymore. And that didn't even happen in the Thunderdome, I don't think. So that's what we're talking about. That's the period of time where Asuka has not defended her title either in a singles match or on a pay-per-view. So I think she's had a couple singles defenses, but not on a pay-per-view because she, she did defend against Alexa Bliss now that memory serves, uh, but but she hasn't defended on a pay-per-view since Zelina Vega who again, isn't employed there anymore. So this is all a mess. I have no idea what they're going to do for the Raw Women's Championship on the road to WrestleMania. I, I, maybe it's going to be Flair and Asuka again, because that's the, all they feel like they can do. But again, we go back months ago, months and months and months ago, where we talked about putting the Tag Team Championship on Shayna and Nia Jax being a bad idea because they should have been the next two challengers Asuka and each of them could have had two month programs with Asuka, instead, they've been in this tag team situation now. Making them the women's tag team champions actually elevated both Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax, so it ended up not being that bad of a booking for them as individual wrestlers. But the sacrifice on the other end was Asuka, and you never want to sacrifice Asuka. So, I have no idea what's going to happen with this women's picture. But the assumption is that this match that was planned for Elimination Chamber between Asuka and Lacey Evans for the Raw Women's Championship is now off, which means there is no women's match on the pay per view. And this is the go home week. So we're a handful of days away, depending when you listen to this. That's a problem. Uh, I won't give this a hero or a zero. I'm going to, for those of you who watch PTI, uh, pardon the interruption on ESPN. I'm a big fan. I'll pull a Michael Wilbon here. I will push. Uh, You know, I don't want to say it's a zero when someone's pregnant. Congratulations to Lacey Evans. But I don't want to say it's a hero when we have no women's storyline. So we'll push on this. Congrats to her. Uh, But thank God this isn't as bad as it could have been, which would have been them running this angle and then allowing her to have a match at the pay-per-view when she's not really pregnant. That would have been the worst case scenario. They're not doing that. Therefore, we'll give them a little bit of a break. We had uh, Damian Priest and Bad Bunny team up to a very strong end here, which good for them. Uh, Bad Bunny was flirting with Mandy Rose backstage Priest came in and then they started getting interviewed When all of a sudden in the background Tozawa chased down our truth and pinned him to win the 24-7 title Now as soon as that happened you knew what was going down But it was fine Tozawa ran into Priest who took him out I think he threw him headfirst into a road case if memory serves And then Bad Bunny jumped on the opportunity And covered Tozawa to win the WWE 24-7 title This is so smart of WWE because what's Bad Bunny doing on Saturday? Bad Bunny is going to be at SNL Saturday Night Live. He'll be on this week as the musical guest and he will undoubtedly wear or carry that title on stage during one or maybe even both of his songs. Now that's not a ton of recognition because it's not the WWE Championship. It doesn't have the big W, you know, people aren't may not actually recognize the WWE 24-7 title. But nevertheless, it is a way for WWE to promote it. Maybe SNL will even mention it. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's just going to be good for social media and getting this spread around. And again, Bad Bunny is doing a really good job in WWE. So we got to give him credit. Credit to WWE for not having Damian Priest win it. That obviously would have been terrible. And credit to them for not having Bad Bunny really do the roll-up and get over R-Truth or Tazawa. rather it was Damian Priest who did it and Bad Bunny just capitalized. This is what I've been talking about that they should have done for a while with MVP. There's no reason MVP shouldn't have been carrying the 24-7 title. The main reason he's not is because WWE has now taken the 24-7 title, which I still hate, but I have to give them credit because they're getting some mainstream exposure by having Doug Flutie win it or this NASCAR driver win it. Or now, Bad Bunny win it. So when celebrities win it, and they take it out of WWE, it kind of makes some sense on why it exists. But in terms of the title existing in the kayfabe universe of WWE, that still kind of sucks. Hey, look, Damian Priest, Bad Bunny, the booking of the segment, credit where it's due. I don't have a hero sound, but you know what I do have. It is such good shit. It really was such good shit. Uh back to SmackDown. We had Bailey against Liv Morgan in a singles match. I thought this was a really fun match. Morgan caught Bailey with an insiguri and double knees for a near fall. Billy Kay came down to give a resume to Ruby Riot. The referee got distracted because I think Ruby threw some of the resumes in the ring. Bailey raked Morgan's eyes and then hit the rose plant for the win. I would have loved to see Liv Morgan get a clean win over Bailey here, but I get the complete book. I get the booking completely. No issues. I do really think, truly, that Liv Morgan has it. And ultimately, this is a hero. I All right, I need some better positive sounds because that one was almost too much of a hero for what that was, but okay, it was good. maybe not that good, but <laughs> it was good. Uh, lastly, we had the Street profits against Alpha Academy on SmackDown. The profits are back to the red solo cups. I think they have been for a couple weeks. It's weird. I don't get it. Maybe they feel the blue isn't as recognizable, but they're on SmackDown, so they should be blue. Uh, There was another funny training vignette uh, for Alpha Academy. They had matching gear, which was pretty cool. This was a great sequence with Chad Gable and Montez Ford. They really got along well together in the ring. Otis dominated when he got his hot tag and had Angelo Dawkins primed, but Gable tagged in and they couldn't make the finish. Dawkins hit the anointment and Ford nailed the cash out frog splash on Gable for the win. Again, another fun match. I didn't expect the Prophets to lose, but I am sick of Gable eating every fall, and I do wish Alpha Academy could get some wins together. Like, they've taken good steps with Gable. They got him out of short EG. They got him into a role where he's almost a tweener, heel face. You know, it seemed like he was a heel working with Otis. Now you're kind of wondering maybe they're becoming friends. You don't exactly know what they're going to do, but this guy needs to get elevated. He should be contending for the Intercontinental title, there's so much more that he could be doing here and he's just not. So I found all of that to be relatively disappointing with Gable, but ultimately Alpha Academy, it's working, the Street Profits, they needed a win to kind of get back into the tag team picture a little bit. So we'll go ahead and give it a hero. Morning Woods is what Xavier calls it. I really do need better positive sounds, I gotta say. So that's really it. that That's the hero we zero segment, because I'm going to go out on a limb and predict a couple of matches for the WWE Elimination Chamber Ultimate Preview, which is what we're going to get into now. So as I noted, there's only really four matches set. There's the two Elimination Chamber matches, the Universal Championship match, Roman Reigns going against the winner of the SmackDown Chamber, and the United States Championship match, which itself seems like it may be a little bit up in the air. I'm gonna go ahead and predict two other matches for the card. If they're not on there, it's cool. It's stuff we still needed to talk about anyway. If they are on there, then we kind of taken care of business already. And maybe we don't end up needing to do the additional show at the end of the week, the bonus show. So one match I do think is gonna be on this card will be the Women's Tag Team Championship. Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler against Naomi and Lana. So on Raw Monday night, Lana fought Shayna Baszler. Lana slapped Baszler, who laughed at her. Lana then got a two count after a crossbody and looked proud of herself. Naomi destroyed Nia Jax at ringside, banging her into the post and then the steel steps. But Baszler, nevertheless, predictably tapped out Lana with the Kirafuda clutch. So I don't really know why they would put this on the pay-per-view and not announce it on Monday, but it does look like we're not going to have a women's match of any type on the show. They have solid number one contenders here in Naomi and Lana. So if it's me, I just put this right on the show, even if it's on the kickoff show. I just make sure that this match gets on the pay-per-view because you want to kind of get it out of the way. You know Naomi and Lana aren't going to win. And if they do, holy crap, God forbid. Uh, but but that's what at least what I would do. I would throw this on the pay-per-view. It's ready made, ready to go. You don't have to you know, hot track anything. Hot shot is the word I was looking for for... Sasha Banks, we certainly don't need her fighting Carmella again, although it seems like they're going to do that at least. But I'm not going to predict that for the show, the pay-per-view, at least not yet. I would book this. Uh, the other issue I had, though, going on with this entire thing. They showed some NXT commercials during Raw, and they usually do that, so that's fine. But they missed an opportunity on commentary to put over Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez as getting a tag team title opportunity by winning the women's Dusty Roads tag team classic. When we talk about WWE not doing all it can to promote NXT, oversight like this is a paradigm of that. They easily could have taken two minutes off of a three-hour broadcast and showed highlights of them winning, them being Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez, winning the Dusty Rhodes tag team classic, explaining that it was an incredible match, mentioning maybe that Ember Moon was in there because she's someone that people on the main roster know or fans who only watch the main roster know, how great of a match it was that they should tune into NXT to see the fallout and mention that Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler now have two sets of number one contenders. And the truth is, when you go over to SmackDown and you look at what happened with Sasha Banks and and Bianca Belair, they may have three sets of number one contenders. That's good. But if you're not mentioning the NXT people during your other shows, then you're not prompting people to go watch NXT, which is what you should be doing. Not just because you're in competition with AEW, but because you have another show on USA Network. So I have no idea why WWE doesn't do that. It is endlessly frustrating. They mention Raw on SmackDown. They mention SmackDown on Raw. You got to mention NXT on both of these shows. Even if it's not an equal third brand, you want to promote it. Why do you not want to promote your own shit? It doesn't make any sense to me. So that is one match that I think might be on the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. The other one would be an intercontinental championship, either triple threat or singles match. Uh, so we'll talk about what happened on SmackDown. Biggie defended his IC title against Shinsuke Nakamura in an open challenge that came out of nowhere. Big E was looking to move on from Cruz and Sami Zayn. When Cruz cut off him announcing an open challenge, Big E said Cruz got enough opportunities and they argued off mic in a really strong moment where Big E kind of came off like a dick. Uh, Big E countered Two Kinshasa's into a failed big ending and a successful Urinagi. When Biggie went for the big ending to finish the match, Cruz forced a disqualification with a dropkick. I didn't like that they threw Nakamura's opportunity away on an open challenge. But the DQ booking did make sense. I just wonder what's next for Nakamura. It's weird that he got the gauntlet booking. I know he didn't technically win, but he basically did. I mean, except for cheating, he won that gauntlet match. But then they haven't done anything with him after that. And if that was on Raw, I wouldn't be surprised at all. But this is SmackDown. And generally, they have plans for everyone. Now, if Nakamura is going to end up being a big-time singles opponent for Big E, and if he maybe even takes the title off of him, that would be something. But it doesn't seem like that's the direction they're going. What it appears to me like they're doing is that they're setting up another mid-card triple threat with Big E going against Shinsuke Nakamura and Apollo Crews. And they could easily put that... On the Elimination Chamber pay per view. That is a pay per view quality match if they do it. But it's just tough to know whether it's going to be on the show because everything happened last week and the go home show is Friday. So I do think this will be on the show if it's not a triple threat. Maybe it's a scenario where it's Biggie against Nakamura again, or maybe Biggie against Apollo Crews for one last time just to get it out of the way. But I, I just happen to think with such a short card, you're going to have the IC title. Defended on the pay per view. There's no obvious tag team match to go in either direction. And right now, for the women, you have Asuka against no one and maybe Sasha Banks against Carmella. But I don't think that they're going to build that up in one week to be back on the pay per view either. Maybe they will. But man, three, three months in a row, that would be pretty crazy. Uh, I didn't give an official prediction for the women's tag team championship. If it's defended, Nia Jackson, and Shayna Baszler win. IC title, whether it's Cruz, whether it's Nakamura, whether it's a triple threat. Biggie successfully defends the title as well. So those will be the predictions if those matches happen. Next up, a mid-card triple threat that we know definitely will happen. Now we're in the portion of Elimination Chamber matches that are officially booked, we think. United States Championship on the line, Bobby Lashley defending against Riddle and Keith Lee. On Raw, we had a six-man tag team match, Riddle and Lucha House Party, against the Hurt Business. There was a forced Riddle comedy segment about President's Day, they really need to start picking their spots with Riddle. I don't mind at all them having him be funny. Funny is good. Stupid is bad. And half the time with these segments, he looks stupid, not funny. So in this one in particular... Zero point zero. But as far as the match goes, Riddle had a strong hot tag. Lindsay Dorado hit a springboard splash onto Shelton Benjamin outside. It was really cool. Riddle hit MVP with the final flash and Floating Bro and got the win. After the match, Bobby Lashley came down to take out the faces, and he once again put Riddle in the hurt lock. Now, during the match, commentary noted that Keith Lee was not medically cleared to be on the show, or his medical status was in question, something like that to explain why he wasn't on Raw. This guy has missed so many weeks due to Miriam getting COVID-19, and I'm glad I think that she's feeling better, so that's good if that's the case. I really hope he's okay. Like, I hope he didn't catch it as well. But if they pull him out of this match, then, man, it is stop and start with Keith Lee for the last, like, two months where you're just wondering, what is what are they going to do with this guy? And this isn't even his fault, and it's not their fault either. It's just the, the realities of COVID and, and keeping people out of action. If they go into this pay-per-view and it becomes a two-man match, Bobby Lashley versus Riddle, I do think Riddle ultimately wins the United States Championship. We've been talking about this for a really long time. And I don't know how many chances you're going to give Riddle against Lashley without ultimately having him win. If it's a triple threat match with Keith Lee involved, I think Keith Lee ends up winning the United States Championship by pinning or defeating somehow Riddle, allowing the title to be taken off Lashley without him losing it. Now, I don't really love that. Uh, They do it frequently in WWE where like Charlotte's the women's champion, but Io Shirai to take the title off her beats Rhea Ripley. Let these people lose. I understand Bobby Lashley is built strong. It's great. But the way that you get riddle over Lashley and the way you get riddle over is by having him overcome a huge obstacle. Lashley can get caught. Uh, Cedric Alexander can interfere or distract him. Riddle could catch him blind and trip him up on the outside, injure his knee, attack him on the way to the ring, blindside him. There's a million reasons that they can give Lashley an out to get beat by Riddle. But you got to make this guy look legitimate if you're going to have him win a match and win a title. I don't want him winning the title by happenstance because Keith Lee hits the spirit bomb and then Riddle hits him with the final flash knee strike and jumps on top of Lashley. Um, or I'm sorry, jumps on top of Lee is what I meant to say. But the the end result here needs to be Lashley getting pinned, but the end result really needs to be Lashley losing the title. So I don't know how it's actually going to go down, because I don't know who's really going to be in this match. But I do think that if Lee is involved, he walks out as the United States champion, and if he's not, that Riddle walks out as the United States champion. That is the right booking, and I would love to see a Lee versus Riddle match at WrestleMania. That would absolutely tear the house down. Their former tag team partners. They work exceedingly well together in the ring. They're both very talented. And I have a plan for Bobby Lashley that we're going to talk about coming up right now. So we have the two Elimination Chambers and the fallout from those remaining here on the Elimination Chamber Ultimate Preview. And there is plenty to say about both of them. So let's start with the Raw Elimination Chamber, which will be for the WWE Championship. There was a Miz TV segment without Morrison uh, to open Raw. The Miz talked shit for 10 straight minutes. McIntyre gave him a Glasgow kiss. And then he threw the Money in the Bank briefcase, repeating the improvised spot from a few weeks ago. It's really not as cool when it's scripted and you've seen it before. Uh, Miz then removed himself from the chamber match that he shouldn't have been part of in the first place because the booking made absolutely zero sense. In kayfabe, Miz said, hey, look, I already got the briefcase. Why do I need to go in this match and get my ass kicked. He's right. That's why he never should have been put in the match in the first place. It was horrendous piece of booking. But okay, Miz is now out. The segment was weak. The decision was good. You could tell that this was unplanned, like this was not the direction they were going to go last week, but instead a change that they made based on reaction. Credit to them for actually listening to the audience and fixing something. I didn't really get a chance To talk about Raw as a whole this week, I got right into Hero Zero. I thought Raw was decent this week because the worst parts of Raw, really the the Charlotte Flair and Lacey Evans storyline, made sense in non-kayfabe. In reality, like you have to give them a little bit of a break. And the final hour of the show was a gauntlet match that we're going to talk about in a little bit. So Raw was actually not bad. I, I would even venture to say borderline good this week. Credit where it's due. But why was it good? Because they fixed bad booking and listened to their fans. That's what SmackDown is doing. They don't fix bad booking because SmackDown generally doesn't book poorly. But they were listening to the audience. They understand what the audience wants. And for the first time in months, it felt like Raw understood a little bit of what we wanted. So Miz later in the show told Adam Pearce that Morrison should just replace him in the match. Later, New Day was yelling at Pierce for not putting Kofi Kingston in the match initially as the most recent WWE champion of the bunch. Thank you, again, what the Silver King said. Look, I don't think or know for sure that anyone in WWE creative is listening to this podcast, but man, I went on that rant last week and it happened on TV. So you know I'm happy. I mean, credit where it's due. Again, I'm happy. Uh, So they're yelling at him. Xavier Woods is yelling at Pierce for not giving him reckoning. I yelled about that last week as well. So they're, they're hitting all the right notes with the Silver King. Uh, Pierce made a match with Miz representing Morrison and Kofi representing, obviously, himself uh, for the right to the final spot in the Elimination Chamber. So we get to the match. Kofi hit SOS for a near fall. Miz locked in the figure four, but Kofi escaped it and hit Trouble in Paradise to get the expected win. So fitting with the entirety of Kofi Kingston's struggles to get into the main event, of course, He's the only ex-WWE champion who had to win to get his way into the match. All the four other ones were automatic qualifiers. And of course, Drew McIntyre is the champion. In the end, this needed to happen. I wish WWE was smart and savvy enough to have done it initially, but better late than never. Now they need to follow through with the Mustafa Ali attacking Kofi at some point on the pay-per-view before the match to take his spot. That doesn't take you, that means like the the Kofi Kingston booking on the back end was a ground rule double, right? If they do the Mustafa Ali part of it and have him take Kofi Kingston out and insert himself into the elimination chamber, instead of a ground rule double, that's an inside the park home run. You're coming all the way, you're rounding the bags. So WWE still needs to follow through with that on Sunday. I hope they do. Ali being in that match would be great. It would elevate him. Honestly, it would elevate retribution a little bit. And Kingston, despite it being great to see him in there, it would be it would get such heat on Ali. I mean, you guys saw, I was excited about it. I posted the Kofi Mania 2 graphic on our Twitter account. People were tweeting about it. People are excited for Kofi to be back in there. You have the program with Ali that's happening. It, it, it works. Now you deliver on both ends. You got Kofi in the match. You have Ali take him out. It builds their feud further that now Ali has cost Kofi an opportunity after Ali thought Kofi cost him an opportunity. You gotta go all the way. If they don't, it's a 0.0. Maybe not a 0.0, but it's not great. You gotta go all the way. I hope they do it on Sunday. AJ Styles, Sheamus, Jeff Hardy, and Randy Orton all cut separate promos during the show. Just as Orton's promo was ending, Alexa Bliss cut into the feed, doing like a seance in the Firefly Funhouse, sitting inside a pentagram, wearing some really freaky contacts, promising The Fiend will be reborn. She was also laughing manically. It was short, sweet, and pretty good. I actually liked that. So, so far, so good. We're rolling on here. Then Braun Strowman shows up, and I'm like, oh no, here we go. Uh, He shows up and told Pierce he's angry. He's not in the chamber match. He said, Shane McMahon better make it right, or it won't be pretty around Raw. What's the threat there? Like, Raw hasn't been pretty for months, so he's going to make it worse somehow? Okay, Braun, do your worst. Ruin Raw. Like, go for it. Uh, I don't know what they're doing with Braun. I'm a little scared. We'll talk about that in a moment. As to the gauntlet match, this was the entire final hour of Raw. And guess what? If you're going to give me good wrestling for 60 minutes, I'm going to take it. However, it was also the third gauntlet match in two months when, folks, I expressly forbade WWE. From going past two, we said two's the limit on the road to WrestleMania. Well, they've already given us three. But okay, uh, Omos started off by grabbing Woods off the announce table by one hand and choke slamming him over the barricade into the Thunderdome. Obviously, mentioning those two, I forgot to say Kofi Kingston and AJ Styles started out the gauntlet. Omos got ejected, and Styles took out Kofi's knee with the referee's back turned. Kingston sold it the whole match and ate a phenomenal forearm for Styles to advance and face McIntyre. These two are great. McIntyre sold the calf crusher like his leg was being snapped, and it took a long time for him to eventually hit the Claymore and advance to go face Hardy. They had good chemistry too. Hardy dodged a Claymore, hit a twist of fate, but McIntyre put double knees into Hardy's neck on the Swanton Bomb and then hit the Claymore to advance to face Orton. Bliss's face uh, took over the Thunderdome screens. like There was like a thousand of them when Orton got knocked outside the ring late in the match, This reminded me very much, this may be a tough reference, of that movie Virtuosity. You guys remember that Uh, with Russell Crowe and Denzel Washington? Like it sounds by me saying their names like a great movie. It's not a bad movie. It's not great in retrospect, but I thought it was underrated at the time. UFC was involved in the movie. Um, Basically, Russell Crowe was this like robotic uh, character who went on a a killing spree. It's tough to explain. You kind of have to see the movie, but it wasn't that bad. And this Bliss's face popping up reminded me of Russell Crowe's face popping up on a ton of screens in that movie. It was just very similar. Uh, Anyway, Orton got distracted, then counted out. And when he tried to climb back into the ring, got hit with a claymore. That left Sheamus as the lone remaining competitor. He blindsided McIntyre and then ruined him at ringside. McIntyre had to agree to continue the match. And he made a run, but Sheamus countered a Claymore with a brogue kick to win and get the last spot. For all the criticisms of the way this Elimination Chamber match was booked, that they did the gauntlet in the first place, it was booked extremely well, the gauntlet match itself. And that was the entire last hour of Raw, as I said, meaning the last hour of Raw was booked well. So I've said this numerous times today credit where it's due about Raw. Sheamus was the right winner. His promo after beating McIntyre was strong. His promo on Raw Talk was even stronger. Earlier in the show, during Raw, he mentioned he was supposed to have a one-on-one match that never materialized. So the booking appears obvious to me. With McIntyre winning the Elimination Chamber and Sheamus hopefully being the Fast Lane challenger. But that still leaves the question of who McIntyre will fight at WrestleMania if that's the direction. So let's clarify a couple of things. My prediction for the Elimination Chamber match is Drew McIntyre winning. And I do think he ultimately beats Sheamus as part of the final two. I also do predict that Ali takes out Kofi because I'm going to give WWE credit and benefit of the doubt that they know they absolutely have to book it that way. Even if it's the way that Edge attacked Kofi, I forgot which uh, Elimination Chamber it was, maybe 2004 or 2008, something like that. But Uh, Kofi was about to make his way into the ring. Edge attacked him, took him out and jumped into his chamber pod. That's what needs to happen here with Ali. So I do have McIntyre winning, Um, but that does create an opening to wonder what's going to happen at WrestleMania. As of right now, I only see three challengers, three potential WrestleMania challengers. One is Sheamus. As I've said, that is not a WrestleMania match to me. I think that's a bad piece of booking. I don't care to see it. I understand that they've gone the length to tell a long-term story and I respect them for that. So if that is the plan, like I can't say that it's lazy, but it's not exciting to me. The other option I could see for WrestleMania, also not exciting to me, would be Braun Strowman. I just don't care. He, he's not, he's main event caliber in that he can challenge for a title at a B-level pay-per-view at any time and that's fine, but he is not someone I want to see in a WrestleMania match against the guy as over as Drew mostly because you know Drew's going to win that match and you know it's not going to be great wrestling. The third person who is an option is Bobby Lashley. And we got a taste of what a Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley, big time feud can be shortly after McIntyre won the title initially at last year's WrestleMania. He beat Lashley. But if you remember, Chris Vanini and I came on this podcast, loved that match. I think we gave it an A or an A-minus or something like that. I forgot the pay-per-view it was on, but we loved it. And we said we could see that feud continue. And there's an opportunity that WWE has now where if it takes the United States Championship off Lashley on this pay-per-view, it then would have two months to build him up and get him ready for McIntyre. And the great thing about Lashley is he's been so dominant as United States Champion, largely because he hasn't defended the title much, but he's been so dominant as champion. He's been booked to be so dominant that he could step right into a main event role and you wouldn't even think twice about it. I think that would be an incredible piece of booking. And probably based on who we're looking at now on Raw that would legitimately contend for the title, he would probably be the best contender. So yes, I am predicting Lashley lose the United States Championship. Yes, I am predicting Drew McIntyre retain the WWE title at the end of Elimination Chamber. There is the Miz factor with Money in the Bank. Maybe he cashes it in and wins. I mean, it's not impossible. He is telegraphing it. The truth is they're only doing slightly better with Miz as Money in the Bank than they were with Otis. Uh, But personally, I just think Miz is going to hold on to that thing at least until Fastlane or around that time where we get a surprise on Raw and McIntyre takes him out with it. Uh, Meaning Miz fails the cash in. But, you know, we're not far from May right now. Like, May's approaching. So he will have to cash that in sooner than later. You need to keep that in the back of your mind as you think this through. So that's Raw. I feel way better about this Elimination Chamber match than I did before Raw. They made some pretty key corrections here. Getting Kofi slash Mustafa Ali in this match will be very, very positive. And the Gauntlet match itself to end Raw, the main event, was damn good. So I am at least bullish on this as we head into Elimination Chamber, where if you asked me just 48 hours ago, I would have told you that this would have been a total piece of garbage. So now let's move over to the SmackDown side. And I do expect the SmackDown Elimination Chamber match to open the show. And I assume the Universal Championship match is gonna end the show, giving the winner as much time as possible in kayfabe, and really in reality too, to recover. So Roman Reigns told Adam Pierce he's the sun. WWE orbits him, and he'll beat Edge so bad he'll go on a Legends contract. Pierce gave Reigns an Elimination Chamber match, but Paul Heyman shut it down and said instead they can have an Elimination Chamber match where the winner can be the number one contender to face Reigns later on the show since Reigns is booked to defend the title on the pay-per-view. Pierce basically had no choice, so he tried to put one over on Reigns and get Jey Uso and Kevin Owens into the match, That enraged Reigns. He stared down Pierce. He was really threatening. It was pretty cool. So it took SmackDown just 15 minutes to book its Elimination Chamber match better than Raw did, again, ahead of Monday night. So we're working back a few days. But 15 minutes into the show, you're like, oh my God, it's a better match. It makes sense. And they're having qualifying matches. All positive stuff. How tough is that, really? And again, this booking totally feeds into what I've been saying for weeks. Edge is going to choose Reigns. Otherwise, the winner of this match would get a Wrestlemania spot instead of fighting Reigns later in the show. So all of this is kind of coming together. While I love qualifying matches, I didn't really like the tag team booking here. They have enough wrestlers that can earn their spots individually. Shinsuke Nakamura should have been given an automatic qualifier after basically winning that gauntlet match a couple weeks ago. Instead, he didn't even get a chance. And considering Pierce was the one willy-nilly throwing Kevin Owens and throwing Jey Uso in. He absolutely should have thrown Shinsuke Nakamura in. That made zero sense whatsoever. So while this started strong and I appreciated the booking of it and the fact that they were doing qualifying matches, I did think it was a little bit flawed in the execution. The idea that tag teams are going to win their way in, and I know not established tag teams, but like pairs of people are gonna win their way in. Why not just do individual qualifying matches? You have a two-hour show. They could have done... Three individual qualifying matches, or four of them, or however many, and then had the last chance match this upcoming week on SmackDown for the final spot. They do it all the time. They do like a last chance fatal four way, the person gets in at the end. I just don't know why they didn't do that. But the two matches they did have were King Corbin and Sami Zayn against Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio. That was the first match. Zayn cut a great promo about the Mysterios being WWE's entry into the Latin market. Dominic nearly decapitated himself. On a tope suicida. He's really got to be more careful. Corbin ate a double 619, but Zayn caught Dominic with an exploder suplex and halluva kick for the clean win. The winners were obvious once the match was booked. I have no idea why you'd put Corbin in the chamber match. Again, when you have Nakamura there ready for the opportunity, and it kind of sucks that the Mysterios were forced into this and suffered a tag team loss when they should be getting built up as a tag team to eventually go after the titles. Don't you think? Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler, the Dirty Dogs, against the Mysterios at WrestleMania would be a big time SmackDown Tag Team Championship match. I do. They got to start building them as the Tag Team Challengers. But maybe they're going to go with Street Profits. If they do, that's okay. But you have the Mysterios right there. Maybe a triple threat between all three of them. It was just an unnecessary loss. And again, an unnecessary scenario where they did tag team qualifying for a singles elimination chamber. The other match had the Dirty Dogs against Cesaro and Daniel Bryan in a non-title match. So again, again with the logic here, Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode approached Pierce and Sonya Deville wanting in the chamber, but instead the tag team champions got a match. Cesaro was injured going in from the Rollins attack we mentioned early in the show. He got a hell of a hot tag, destroying Ziggler with a half dozen European uppercuts. Roode went after Cesaro's injured knee. Bryan took him out with a running knee. Cesaro kicked out of a Famouser, hit up a spine and the Cesaro swing, and then won for the second week in a row with the sharpshooter. Just like the first match, you had a real tag team. This time, the champions lose a match they shouldn't have been in in the first place. If you wanted to have Ziggler against Bryan and Cesaro against Rude, you could have done that and had each member of the tag team champions lose. Instead, you had the literal champions lose. Now, perhaps that gives Cesaro and Bryan an opening for a future tag team title match. But if it doesn't, then again, a totally unnecessary loss for a team that is an actual tag team against a couple of people thrown together just to get their way into an Elimination Chamber match. So SmackDown, we're really positive about it. And the match is built up well, this Elimination Chamber. But again, you got to criticize where, where it's necessary. I didn't love the booking. I just didn't. Uh, after the match, Jey Uso attacked Cesaro with a chair, and then Zayn and Corbin attacked. Then Owens finally came down, stunned all five guys. Owens screamed at Reigns that he's not going away. So we now have Owens, Jey Uso, Zayn, Corbin, Bryan, and Cesaro with the winner going to fight Reigns the same night. For me, this goes down to two people. It's either Owens or Cesaro, based on recent booking. You could maybe put Daniel Bryan in there, but folks, if he didn't win the Royal Rumble, And the Elimination Chamber is not for a number one contendership at WrestleMania. I don't know why you're going to suddenly have Daniel Bryan win this match and then fight Reigns unadvertised on Elimination Chamber. For me, that just doesn't make any sense. So I think it's Owens or Cesaro. And whoever doesn't win out of those two ends up facing Reigns at Fastlane next month. Perhaps it goes to Cesaro here and then Owens at Fastlane. Uh, That would give Edge the entree to then after Elimination Chamber, as he promised, announced that he's going to fight Reigns at WrestleMania because Owens is his Canadian friend. He says, okay, yeah, go for it at Fastlane. Worst case, I fight you at WrestleMania. I think that is ultimately how this all plays out. If I had to pick one individual person, uh, man, it just seems like Cesaro is getting built up for this opportunity. So I'm going to go with Cesaro. I have a feeling it's going to be Owens, but my, my prediction officially will be Cesaro winning the Elimination Chamber and going on to fight Reigns, and then Reigns in the Universal Championship match later in the show, ultimately beating Cesaro. That would give Cesaro numerous big singles wins, two over Daniel Bryan, plus an Elimination Chamber win. Yet he loses to Reigns. There is no shame whatsoever in that, especially if Jey Uso helps or something like that happens. And then, like I said, you have Owens and Reigns set one more time for Fastlane, where Reigns wins once again, goes on to face Edge at WrestleMania. That is the official... TM trademark Silver King prediction. So that's it really. That's our WWE Elimination Chamber Ultimate Preview. Like I said, because there's so few matches announced and because there is still a go-home show of SmackDown to, to happen on Friday, there is the chance that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast will have a bonus WWE episode Friday night after SmackDown. I will announce that on Twitter and we will publish that before midnight on Friday, if it does happen. That way you all have as much time to listen to it as possible, nearly uh, 48 hours to listen to it before Elimination Chamber starts. But that is only going to happen if more matches are announced that we weren't sure about or major storylines change on SmackDown. Hopefully Chris will be able to join me on that show if that happens. As far as what's left for the remainder of the week, we will be back on Thursday to talk about all of the fallout from NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day, on the new episode of NXT if you did not listen to our instant analysis of NXT takeover vengeance day it is sitting in our feed waiting for you right now also in addition to NXT on Thursday we will talk AEW dynamite everything that happens on that show very curious to see impact njpw do they continue to extend that storyline a little bit more what's happening with Mox and Omega is Archer going to factor into a title match at revolution i don't know what's going to happen but I am pretty involved in the AEW storyline, main event storyline that's happening right now. So I am curious to see what happens there. And then we will, no matter what, be back Sunday as soon as Elimination Chamber is off the air with instant analysis of WWE Elimination Chamber right here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast so you can vote in the pre and post-show poll. We need your letter grades. We need to know what you think. Elimination Chamber is going to be and what it ends up being. I also want you to follow us so you can see every time we tweet a new episode and to talk to us about wrestling all week. It's a place where you can send in DMs and tweets for the show. I didn't get to too many DMs today. There were so many about Charlotte and Lacey, but we knew that she was really pregnant. So I couldn't just read them all because it wouldn't have made a lot of sense. And you guys did tweet me some other stuff about Elimination Chamber, but I thought I was going to have Chris and I didn't think we'd have a lot of time. So therefore, I didn't want to jam too much much stuff into the show. That's why but we will have your DMs and your tweets on our Thursday show. If you tweet us during the pay-per-view, we'll have them again on the WWE Elimination Chamber. Instant analysis Sunday, as soon as that pay-per-view is off the air. Do not forget also to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review let us know how much you love the show let other people know how much you love the show share this ultimate preview of elimination chamber with friends family coworkers anyone you know who likes wrestling retweet us when we tweet the episodes help us grow this damn podcast that is your job it's my job to create the content it's your job to participate i think i don't think it's asking too much help out the silver king help out the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So with that, the Silver King is saying goodbye. That means there's only one more person to say goodbye on the way out. Of And thank you all for listening. I will see you on Thursday, possibly Friday, and Sunday night. I just have a couple words left for you. Bye for now.